get into our Bible tonight. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to study some passages of a, a portion of Scripture that is just as contentious and debated as what we studied last week. Last week we looked in Hebrews chapter 6. And we talked about how it's impossible for someone to be renewed back to that position of repentance. I tried to give you the correct understanding of that statement, which does not mean once a person falls into a certain level of sin, it's impossible for them to get saved again. You have to remember, if it's true for one portion of Scripture, then all of Scripture has to teach it. That's a very important doctrine to understand. We can't violate other clear portions of Scripture for the sake of understanding one passage. And this is exactly what happens with the passage we look at tonight. There's a phrase that we're going to see. It's in verse 26 of chapter 10. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. People look at that verse and they, they read it with a predisposed position to lordship salvation. Lordship salvation is exactly that. You have to make Jesus the Lord and master of your life in order to be saved. Now, people will say it's not enough to just merely put him in that position. You have to back it up with works. It's the most common teaching amongst Calvinism today, and that's, it's hard to spot. I want to be honest with you. It's hard to spot because these backloading preachers, they'll have the gospel correct. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. There's nothing you can do. Uh, to earn it, you just have to put your trust in Christ. But as they continue to teach the teachings of the New Testament, they say a real faith will demonstrate itself in good works. So if you don't have real faith, then your conversion was not genuine. And they'll use passages like this to prove their point. There's really three things that I want to look at today. I don't really want to get up here and, and preach to you. I want to just teach and walk you through it. Because I think there's some very good principles here. But every single one of us, if we have a transparent look at ourselves tonight, you will find yourself in the category of willful sin. It's, it's so juvenile to think that there is nothing except willful sin. I mean, every sin that you do, you choose to do it. We'll go over the three categories, and we'll look at that in a moment. But the promises here that are given for those who continue in sin and do nothing to correct it, there's a, there's a very serious consequence that is coming for you. And we'll look at some other passages as well that, that promote this teaching from the Bible. But I want you to understand that salvation's not the issue tonight. These are to saved people. The only issue of salvation is that it's addressed to people who have already put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, you know the audience of Hebrews is Jews that are probably, you know, second-generation Christians, and I don't mean that a whole lifetime has passed away, but they've been led to Christ by someone else who was led to Christ by led to Christ. So they're pretty removed from the source there in, in um, Jerusalem. And it's important to understand that as they're going through Christianity, the modern world is beginning to persecute them physically. So there's a temptation for them to go back to the comfort of the Jewish practice so that, number one, they can live without fear of death. Uh, so that they can prosper in their work. And they don't have to worry about being hunted, uh, dispersing, having their family members' lives put at risk. So there's a comfort, there's a temptation for them to apostatize. And what that means is they fall away from the truth. Well, what truth are they falling away from? That Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he is the fulfillment of all of the prophecies in the Old Testament that speak of the Messiah and they have put their trust in him, to fall away from that truth is not that they say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And even if they did say that, they're still saved. Why? Because God is faithful, and he will not forget the decision that they made to trust in Christ. There was a, it was transactional at that moment of salvation. But they fall away from the truth in that they either they can reject it, or they just forget it and go back into a religious system of works that does not save. We've no doubt seen people like this in our lives. Some of this 
may describe you at some point. You may have gotten saved and then went back into false teaching for the sake of comfort, family tradition, acceptance, whatever it may be. This is not where believers should reside. And there are serious consequences. And it's a part of our warnings that we look at tonight. Do not willfully sin. Yes, it is willful sin to put yourself back under a religious system which denies the truth of Jesus Christ. And any world religion that teaches works for salvation or works to have a right standing of justification before God is against the message of Jesus Christ. We, there's no wiggle room there. God is not going to have mercy and grace at the great white throne judgment. They are held accountable for the decision that they made. Many people look at ministries like ours that take a stand for the truth and they say we're divisive, we don't allow people room to breathe, and we make things harder than they should. It is literally a matter of life and death. It is the difference between rising at the last day for everlasting life or for everlasting shame and contempt. And that's very clear in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. At the last day, many of people are going to wake up, and all people will. They'll rise, and they'll either rise to everlasting life with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ, or they will have new bodies which will be able to suffer torment in hell forever and ever and ever. The words that are used in Daniel 12.4 is a very important definition of forever. It's a definition that means forever and ever and ever, not forever in this life. Right? We, you know, when people get married, they say, till death do us part. Well, of course, it's like, I'll love you forever. And, and the idea is there, it lasts in this lifetime while you're here. But the word that is used for forever in Daniel 12.4, it goes on into timelessness. And that was a new teaching in the Old Testament that a person would suffer eternal torment. And that they would rise to that torment. So it's a serious thing. If we're teaching Jesus plus something else, we're telling somebody that they can trust in their good works to get them saved. And that's a serious thing. And God takes that seriously. And if his children go back into a teaching like that and depart from the teaching that they once knew, they will be punished. Sorely. Sorely. Now I'll be direct with you in that the idea here is at least the way I see it, and this is how I approach it. I have to change my mind according to what the scripture says. But I see this as discipline from a parent. And I don't know how you were disciplined as kids, but there were many times where the discipline that I experienced, first of all, it was earned. You know, I, I had earned that discipline. But there were times when I knew that my, my, my dad especially He's angry with me, and I understand that. And, and, you know, he's right to be angry. But God does not judge us out of that anger that he has for the world, but he uses the same, our, our works will be decided by the same fire that consumes those in hell. And I'll show you that later on tonight. But he disciplines out of a pure, loving heart, pure intent, but it's still a very sore punishment. And I think we are naive to say that because God is all love, therefore there is no chastening. Because chastening is not love. Chastening is love. If you love your kids, you tell them in the safety of your home the difference between right and wrong. If you've got a problem with a kid running out into the middle of a street... You want to make sure that when you yell their name, when you call their attention, they're stopping and paying attention. Because in a real life situation, if they don't listen to your call and they run out to the, to the street, that car is not going to care as to whether they're making a mistake or not. They could die. It's a serious thing. There's so many comparisons to how God disciplines us as his children and how parents ought to discipline their kids. That's not the focus tonight. But the focus tonight is... God will sorely discipline disobedient believers. Just because we are positionally found in Christ does not mean that we will escape chastening. And it's not a fun process. Just like it's not a fun process here on earth. It wasn't fun to get spankings and get 
punishments and all that kind of stuff. But if we didn't have those things, we could be very, you know, you could be dead. Look at how many young people are dying today at the hands of violence. And people say, oh, it's because it's law enforcement. But it's like, kids are brandishing weapons. They're, I mean, it's, it's like a sign of, it's like a rite of passage to commit violence against one another in many of these gangs. Why does that happen? Because we don't have proper discipline in our homes. God is not going to treat his children that way. Rest assured, take comfort, whatever comfort is available, in this fact that you will be disciplined for your sin. And so of the warnings, the one up here on the screen is paramount. Do not willfully sin. But before we get into that, I want to answer this question. I hear this all the time. Is free grace, and I put that in air quotes because, you know, I'm not all free grace. I just like what the Bible says. You want to call me anything, call me a student of God's word. Is free grace soft on sin? A lot of people think this. Soft meaning they don't punish sin, they don't preach on sin because people think we teach a license to sin that you can just keep sinning and sinning and sinning and it will never overcome the amount of grace that God has given. I'm going to let the Bible answer that question. So hold your spot in in, uh, Hebrews 10 and go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Paul asks this question, and he asks it pretty plainly and gives a very plain answer, so much so that the translators even put a punctuation mark in verse 2, in the middle of the verse, which is not very common, so I think it's for emphasis. But look at what this says. Romans 6, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So that, that's the question. Is Is your position that a person can get saved and never lose their salvation regardless of how they behave, isn't that soft on sin? Well, Paul was being accused of the same thing. What does it mean there, shall we continue in sin? Shall we continue to practice sin that grace may abound? What does that grace may abound mean? That grace continues to cover that sin that we practice in. The, The question is, shall we believers continue in this sin that grace will always be able to meet? The response is clear in verse 2. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to go through this entire chapter, but you should mark it. This is a great chapter to look at the reality of living as a believer, as a slave to sin. We're dead to it. What does that mean? The penalty of our sin has been paid. Why then would we want to go back to the slop? Why then we as someone who have been bought out of the marketplace, that word redeemed, meaning bought out of the marketplace, why would we then want to put ourselves back into the marketplace and be sold into servitude, to sin? We've been freed from that. So go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Is free grace soft on sin? No, And neither is God. Now we're going to look at three examples here. Three examples of how God takes sin. Two of these examples include children of Israel. It's it's not for me to say whether these two examples that we look at are people that were looking to a coming Messiah and were properly trusting for eternal life. I don't know, but I want you to see the discipline of those two. And one of this group of people are two people who were saved in the church age. And they had one sin that you and I would probably look at and say, is it really that bad? Well, it cost them their lives. So let's look at the two children of Israel as an example first. Go to Leviticus chapter 10. Ooh, didn't expect that one. Leviticus chapter 10. Let's go to that one. It's a quick one. Just verses 1 through 2. I saw a great commentary note on this passage that I just was, you know, made you go, hmm. So I'll share that with you in a moment. But Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 2, these two children are mentioned Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Now, this is quite significant. Aaron, of course, Moses' brother. 
These are Moses' you know, family. These kids were not doing what they were supposed to do. It says the sons of Aaron, so we don't know how old they were, but they died this night. And you're going to see why. They took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Now we're living in a time in, in this passage here where there's a lot of things being instituted that are used as pictures of something that Christ will fulfill in the future. So God takes these things very seriously. These, I don't, I don't want to say kids because I don't know if they were kids, but these, these young guys, they're messing around doing what they were not supposed to be doing. And whatever fire they offered, God, through the Holy Spirit, has says it's strange. And it's very basic what they did. They disobeyed God's instructions for proper sanctification and cleansing, and they died. There was no trial. There was no review as to did they just misunderstand. They died. God takes his word seriously. Look at three. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron, whose kids were just, they, they just died before the Lord, he had nothing to say in response to God's instruction. The reason why you and I can come to church and worship and have a free conscience and ask for forgiveness and know that we receive it is because we are coming to God sanctified, set apart. How is that? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why communion, there's such strong warnings in communion not to take it unworthily. If this is how God feels in the Old Testament, what do you think made him change his mind in the New Testament? Did he change his mind? He hasn't. This is some of the great access we can see by what we have in Jesus Christ. However, I read a great comment on this. A lot of people take this as, I'm going to worship God in my own way. I'm going to do things the way I want to do. Well, I don't worship on Sunday. I worship, you know, through, you know, radio or, or just uh, giving money to church. But I don't, I don't really go to church. I don't really read my Bible. <clears throat> That's not for me. Folks, be careful you're not offering strange fire. Be careful that you're not saying your will is now God's will and therefore he must obey it. Or that it comes from him. I see this so many times when people pray. They already have their mind made up. You, it's... It's comical in a sad way, but you can see it from a far away. It's like, I already know what route you're going to run. You're lining up on the line of scrimmage, and I know exactly where you're going to go. And they say, well, I'm praying about X, Y, and Z, so would you pray for me about this? Not once do they ask for the Lord's will to be done. They say, I'm praying for X, Y, and Z. Would you pray that this would be done? I have counseling sessions where I sit down with people and I talk to them right off the bat the importance of praying for God's will and then that you would be obedient to do it. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because your will very well might be outside of the will of God and someone's got to correct. Who's got to correct? These boys, they offered something incorrectly. It was strange before God and it required their lives and there was a lesson that was taught through it. So should free gracers, should those of us who believe that salvation is, you know, eternal, once you're saved, you're saved into eternal life and you can never lose it, should we be soft on sin? No, we shouldn't. We should not allow it in our lives. Let's look at another one here. This is in Joshua chapter 7. I remember the first time I read this passage that we're going to look at tonight, I... I was moved. I cried because it was so sad. This is just a sad, sad thing. And then I was scared because I know that God doesn't change. And I realized how serious he took this sin that it required this man's life and the life of his family. 
I believe it's in chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Now, for time we didn't look at the context, but what happened is they were supposed to go into Ai, the land of Ai, and they were going to win, as God said they would, but they were instructed at the conquest of Jericho, don't take anything, no spoils, don't do it. Achan disobeyed, he stole a bunch of stuff, dug a hole in the ground, buried his stuff in there. Israel goes on to the next place they're going to conquer. Remember, this is the promised land that they had doubted God would bring them into. And now Moses, he died. Joshua's taken over. He's leading them in. Very bloody book, Joshua. Comes in. They go into this battle and several thousand Israeli troops die. And Joshua falls on his face. He says, Lord, what's going on? And God says, get up. Sanctify the people. Go to this house and then talk to this family and then talk to this man and ask him what he has done. That should cause you some concern if you're sitting here tonight and there's secret sin in your life. That God knows it. You were, we're not playing him for a fool at all. He knows it. And Joshua obeyed that and he went down the line and he got to Achan. And Achan, when he was confronted, he made the right choice and he got right with God. But the consequences prevailed. And I have chills right now because I know it's the same thing in my life. I'm not without any exception. We can come clean to God. But it's up to him as to whether he's going to allow those consequences to go forth or not. I've known men who've made decisions in ministries that they've received forgiveness for. They've come out about it. They receive forgiveness, but they can't serve in the same way again. But we are ignorant and unwise if we think God won't uh, do anything about it. If no one else knows about it, then God won't do anything about it. He made it known before the whole nation of Israel here. So that's the scene, and then Achan makes his confession. So he goes forward, he, he tells them here in uh, verse 21, When I saw among the spoils of goodly Babylonian uh, garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. What does that mean? He desired them for himself. And took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver in it. So, the Joshua, so Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. Good on Achan that he was honest. But he lied up to this point. He didn't say a word. Nothing uttered out of his mouth. But men died. And he had to be confronted about it before he spoke the truth. You know, there's a big difference between Achan here and King Saul. When King Saul was pressed, he denied it three times. And that's some of us here tonight. We get pressed and there's opportunity to come clean and we find a way to protect ourselves. We, we, we don't speak the truth. We lie and lie and lie. And we expect everything to just be okay because, well, they don't know that I still have this thing going on. Careful. Because when you lie to people, especially in the body of Christ, you're lying to God first. And that's also a note in David. David said, against the Lord I've sinned. Achan was in the same position, but he was silent, still in his disobedience. He came forward. They found it, 23, and they took them out of the midst of the tent and brought them unto Joshua and unto all the children of Israel, that's before the nation, laid them out before the Lord. Here it is. What a, man, the embarrassment that must have come with that from Achan. This is the man that cost us good men on the battlefield. This is what he took. You know, I often think about this. Um, you can tell how uh, influential the movie Aladdin was on me as a kid. It just is. But there's one part in that movie where Abu, the little uh, monkey, they're in the Cave of Wonders. What was the instruction? Just bring me the lamp. Right? Don't touch anything else. And there's that one scene the animators get the, you know, Abu, he's looking at this giant ruby. 
And his eyes get like all big and the ruby fills his eyes, right? And he reaches forward and he's got his tongue out and he's drooling and he goes to touch it and all of a sudden it turns into sand. And the entire structure falls down on him. And I think, how must have Achan felt when he looked at that garment, when he looked at that gold, that silver? The difference of when he looked at it when it was in Jericho. And he was like, ooh, I want that. I need that. I will have that. The difference now between... It's just stuff. There's blood on that. That's what I wanted? Deception, deception, deception. The the, the devil wants to deceive you with these giant things in your life. Like, man, I want this. I want to live for that. But when you actually get a hold and possess them, they're just sand. They cost people so much. There's a lesson here in that outside of what we'll see in a moment. So they took all of it. They brought it to the valley of Accor in verse 24. Verse 25, and Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. And they had a name for that place, the valley of Accor. So the Lord turned to 26 from the fierceness of his anger. What was withholding the blessings of God was sin unconfessed. Doesn't this make you thankful for Jesus Christ that he took that punishment for us? That should have been us. We all should have been in, in the valley of a core. But God in his love sent Jesus in our place. And if you're here today and you do have that secret sin going on in your life, this is the coffee brewing. Sniff it in. And wake up. This sin is serious. Last one we're going to look at is in Acts chapter 5. So let's take a look there. And doesn't this make you thankful for 1 John 1 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for that. But I know that Galatians 6 is still true. I'm going to reap what I sow. The same is for you too. Look in Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price with his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Do you think that Ananias went to an altar of Satan and asked for his heart to be filled? No. So what does Peter mean here? The father of lies is Satan. And Ananias lied about how much he was giving. By the way, there was, he was not held at gunpoint. Sell your property and give us all the money. This is something he did willfully. But he lied about how much he was giving. It's, it's interesting, I want to note here, it is interesting, the author of this lie is Satan. And Ananias just promotes it. Who paid the price? Read on. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? Verse 4, and after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Peter's saying, there's no one making you do this. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. That's a big 7-Eleven, big gulp moment right there. And Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and gave up the ghost. That does not mean he you know, hurt his knee, that he experienced a twinge in his back. The man died at the hearing of the truth. Didn't even get a chance to confess it himself. This night. And he was gone. See ya. So now, Sapphira. What's she going to do? <laughs> and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. Verse 6, And the young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. I hear the whistling, you know. You know, she's coming in. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. I wonder if there was like a... 
And she said, yay, for so much. The for so much was what Ananias uh, had said, which kept back a certain amount. And we know that from verse 1, excuse me, verse 2, it says his wife also being privy to it. She knew, she was in on it. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, and this is an eloquent, poetic way of saying, you will die for this. The feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. I wonder if she even had time to understand what that meant. She probably did, because Peter said, why are you tempting the spirit of the Lord? I don't know if she knew her husband died, but may I say, when she was absent from her body, she was present with the Lord. She died as well. This is after Jesus Christ has risen. The blood's been applied. Oh, well, free grace is soft on sin. Same thing was required of them. Their life ended. Their opportunity to serve the Lord and earn rewards, done. Over. 10. Then fell she down straightway. Talk to the Apostle Mark about that word straightway. It means immediately, without delay. Yielded up the ghost. The young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And we know from verse 11 and verse the end of verse 5 that those young men that carried out Ananias and now carried out his wife, they were fearful of lying to God. They understood what they saw. And great fear, verse 11, came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Did you hear what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Yeah. People understood that there were consequences for their sin. So now let's look in Hebrews 10. Ananias and Sapphira, they're believers. They had put their trust in the risen Messiah, but they still experienced that consequence. 26, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26. For if we sin willfully, we just saw three examples of that willful sin. I saw it, I coveted it. They offered strange fire. I sold it for this much and I kept back the price. After that we have received knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. There's no more sacrifice that needs to be applied to your sin. However... A certain fearful looking for the judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Now this does not mean that a believer goes into the position of condemned again as an enemy of God. But they will receive judgment in that their works will be burned up at the judgment seat of Christ. And it will have no profit. Side note. We don't have time to look at it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. You look at that, and that's the judgment seat of Christ. And the fire that is mentioned there, it very specifically says, their works will be burned up, but they will be saved from fire. But you're a fool to think that we can live as we please, live in willful sin, and not experience punishment. That's a very... Illogical opinion to take in light of these verses. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. They were found guilty under the law and they died. And this nature of questioning that we see here is some of the strongest questioning you'll see in the New Testament. Of how much more sorer punishment, of how much sorer punishment suppose ye? He's almost asking them, well, what do you think? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God? You've taken Jesus, you've taken his payment for sin, and you trample on it. You you stomp up and down on it as if it's worth nothing. And hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. By the way, this is also an important thing. Talking to people who are already sanctified. Earlier in the chapter, it says they're eternally that way. Wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and hath done 
desperate unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. God will not turn a blind eye to the sin in a believer's life, regardless of where they are positionally in Christ. And this is why progressive sanctification is so important. Why do we, why do we teach hard on sin? Why do we teach that we are to be called out of the world and we set ourselves aside? Because God will judge his people, you and me included. And it's important that we don't think that just because all of our sin is paid now, there, there's no more consequences for our sin. There's no more sacrifice that can be applied because Jesus is the final sacrifice. But that doesn't mean that God will not punish us. And here's 31, and I want you to tie, just as a reference, to Acts 5.5, part B, and Acts 5.11 that we just read. Look at 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want you to write these things down. Here are some known consequences we can discern from this passage. Number one, we can expect to be devoured. Number two, we can expect physical death. Number three, we can expect a sore punishment. Number four, we can expect God's vengeance. Number five, we can expect judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. And number six, we can live in fear in this life. We are not given that spirit of fear. But we can choose it every day with our sin. I want to give you these three things here that are the three categories of sin that we all, we can put each one, each one of our sins, we can find a category of multiple. The first one, which I think we all know, we learn it as little babies, is intentional. And it would say this, I wanted to. I know you told me to obey you. I wanted to disobey, so I did. Intentional sin. That's willful. We make a choice to do that. The second one is what I think a lot of people don't recognize, and it ties into the third, but it stands alone on its own as well, is omission. This one would say, I know I should have, but I didn't. I know I should have stopped at the red light, but nobody was around, so I did it. Now, people would say that's a small thing, but you know that leads to more. I know I should have reported this amount of income, but I didn't. Hmm. Does that make it right? I know I should have prayed. I should have given the gospel. I should have stayed away from these things, but I chose not to. It's omission. And the last one here is what I think a lot of people think they get a pass for is ignorance. And it says, I didn't know. Let me just be so clear. Then you should start finding out. So many people in our culture today claim that. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know. You have all the things to know what's right and wrong. You're held accountable for that. It is not satisfactory to say to God, well, I didn't know I was supposed to win souls. Here comes the question. Why didn't you know? And it's one of two answers. I didn't do the work to find out or God, you didn't tell me. And I don't think the last one's valid. Intentional omission and ignorance. And intentional is really, I think, the one that is, you know, way rampant. We all want to do that. I mean, Eve's sin was intentional. Adam, the same. Cain knew what he was doing when he slayed Abel. Now, the boys... Nadab and Abihu that we looked at in Leviticus 10, it's questionable as to if they knew what they, was do, what they were doing was wrong, even if they, it was ignorance, still cost in their lives, still consequences. Oh, well, that's not fair. You look at God and tell him it's not fair. Go ahead. You look at Jesus, you look at the blood that he shed, you look at that empty tomb, and, and, and you look at God and say, that's not fair. Because that, that's what we say when we choose to just do whatever we want and sin. A much sorer punishment. 
And then the last one, of course, ignorance. I didn't know. I didn't know. But when I, there, there was a moment when I went from eighth grade to ninth grade where I learned that ignorance doesn't cut it. And some of y'all remember this. You go to eighth grade, everything's kind of like, you got like four periods, you know, four, you know, English, math, science, social studies, whatever. And everything is pretty balanced. You got, you know, your classes are large blocks of time and there's, there's not a lot of homework. There's homework, but, you know, then you get to high school and you have like eight periods. One of them is lunch. We all love lunch, right? But in the other periods, you have a full semester worth of work. And I don't know why I didn't learn, but in every advanced placement class that I was placed in, there was a project due at the end of the semester. Well, it was after the second nine weeks. And also, at the end of the year, I was expected to take an advanced placement uh, class, college-level um, exam. And I didn't do any of the work. None of it. I should have. I had the syllabus. I had the planner. But there are many times I would come into class with an assignment that was not done, and I could not say, well, I could say, I didn't know, but it wouldn't have been true because there's the planner with the syllabus and the expectation. Sorry, you should have known. May I introduce you to your syllabus? (laughs) This is your planner. You want to know what this book says. There's an expectation for you. But I want to give you some reminder here that these verses do not talk about eternal separation from God for the person who's put their trust in Jesus Christ. So we're going to close in 1 Corinthians 11. Let's go over there to your left there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll look in verse 29. I think studies like what we're doing tonight help you they help you not to judge others so quickly because there's a lot of things you need to fix. At least I'll just speak for myself. I'm sure we could all get out our trusty magnifying glass and look in the lives of everybody else. But a nice, solid diet of the word puts the magnifying glass away and you begin to look internally and say, what, what things am I allowing in my life? You know, Jesus talked about that. You, the speck in your brother's eye, and you've got a moat in yours. And you say, a moat is much larger than a speck. <laughs> we go around, if we're not careful, and we judge everybody else, knowing there's things in our life that we don't get correct. It's studies like this that close the mouth. And we start asking God for help. We all know what it's like to struggle with sin, there's things that we don't want to do, and we just, we've got habits. They've got to be broken. And it, that takes some effort and time. But be careful that you go, this thing? Nah, that ain't sin. That. Look at this person. Let's condemn them. Careful. What happens when we go in your tent, in the middle of the earth, in your tent? What do we see? Look in 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. People were dying in Corinth because they were abusing the Lord's Supper. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. There, there, is a, there is a different kind of condemnation for those that are outside of Jesus Christ, and that is in hell. But we who are in the body of Christ, because we've put our trust in Jesus, we face chastening. Still not something that we should be like, oh, it's no big deal. It's a slap on the wrist. I used to get these in seventh grade. They were called conduct cuts. Okay, Conduct cut was a disciplinary like a demerit, so to speak. I had one teacher. She loved to give them out. That's all she said all the time. You didn't have your bell work in. At the, and I'm not kidding. At the second 
Five minutes passed after the bell rang. Conduct cut, she would pass them out. They already had your name on them. She was so ready. <laughs> I don't remember her name. But I remember her. Conduct cut. Conduct cut all the time. You'll get those conduct cuts. You grow and you realize the things that I need to change these things. But God's not there, you know, without any love and compassion for you. He's not some, you know, sixth grade teacher that's clocking in and he's going to clock out. He loves you. He's your father. And because he has care and concern for your well-being, he will bring chastening in your life. There's a purpose. It's supposed to refine you. It's supposed to make you stronger. He's not just beating you because he's angry. He's not just beating you because he regrets bringing you into the family. He's correcting because he loves you and he knows the consequences are dire. By the way, this is how serious it is to serve God. To earn rewards. We, we only have it in this life. If, if it didn't matter, why would God discipline us? Why would he instruct us to live soberly and, and righteously in this wicked world? There's got to be something to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not going to take my life as a gamble and just find out when I get there if it was worth it all. I already know it will be. Verse 33 Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That when you come not together, unto condemnation. And the rest will I send in order when I come. And Paul was closing his thoughts there on communion. But it's important for us to see 32. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. We're not condemned with the world. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're not going to hell. But we still will experience chastening. So as the screen says, as the scripture says, don't willfully sin and expect to get away from it. And by the way, every Bible teacher in my college classes and pastors like Dr. Lindstrom and Dr. Arnold and many others, I have not heard one of them teach or promote a license to sin that you can live it up and there'll be no consequence. I've heard all of them say, you can live as you please, but you will not get away with it. And your life will be short. You can go ahead and close your Bibles. Now, you go home and you read these passages and you start getting into commentaries and stuff, and you're going to see some, some silly stuff. Right? People are going to say, oh, these are people who never really believed. Or, no, it's clear that they were sanctified from earlier in the passage. I sat right where my mother-in-law is sitting. The first year that I was pa- uh, pastoring, I sat right where she was. And I argued with a guy for, it had to be three hours. He called me and he was so upset that Yankee Arnold would teach the way he taught on Hebrews 10. And we went verse by verse. And he's yelling, and I'm yelling, and it all came down to that word sanctified. He didn't have an answer. Now, I regret the way that I behaved in that, and I think I'm a lot more mature than that conversation. But I'll tell you what, people don't know how to discern the word. They let other people cut it up and feed it to them. I want you to go home tonight and study these things for yourself. Study the entire scripture. Well, how can I do that in one night? Hey, join the club. <laughs> it takes a whole lifetime to understand these things. Well, no, it doesn't take a whole lifetime. It takes a lifetime to learn how to practice them. But it's important to recognize that God, for the ones who want to be obedient, he's for you. That doesn't mean you will be free of chastening if we continue in that sin. This hand's going to represent you and me, and my wallet represents our sin. Put it on top of our, my hand because for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. You have to be perfect to get to heaven, no sin, and we all fall short. God, he loves us, but he hates our sin because it separates us from him. Many world religions teach, people would say innocently, I would say it's from the devil. Just like Ananias, when he lied, he, he gave in to the devil there. Many people think in deceivable doctrines that they can work their way to heaven by good works Asking, um, you know, turning from their sin, asking Jesus into their heart, whatever it may be, 
giving their life in service. These things are noble, but they don't save a person because the wages of sin is death, not good works. This hand represents Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. And what Jesus did for us is He took our sin and He paid for it on the cross at Calvary. And He was buried and He rose again three days later to prove that the payment for sin was made. And those of us who believe, and this is open to anybody, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You put your trust in Jesus Christ, you receive as a free gift right there in that moment everlasting life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're watching on the internet tonight, I pray right where you're sitting that you'd put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Once you're saved, you're saved into eternity. You'll never be brought into condemnation. You've been perfected forever. Let us know. Send us an email. Leave a comment. I'd love to rejoice with you. Heads are bowed, eyes are still closed. For those of you in the audience, don't forget the two that trusted Christ this morning. Don't forget your own life. And if you do have sin in your life that you're struggling with, you, it's, it's, it's getting victory over you every single day. Come talk to us about it. Talk to the Lord first and confess it. But there is such a thing as addiction. Don't suffer in that alone. The church leadership here is not in a position to judge you or make you feel bad. We want to bring you in light of the truth. My door is always open, but friend, greater than that is 1 John 1, nine. Go to the Lord. But don't live in that secret sin and expect everything to be great. There are consequences. But thank God those consequences are not eternal hell. And that should make us praise Jesus. Father, thank you for your word tonight. I pray that we come back here safely for our midweek service. Give us safety as we travel here and there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.